I believe that too. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so a person who loves the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, what do we call that person? A disciple. So, it does everyone love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. And um, we kind of put that into health education as well. Um, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart deals with, what would you think that would deal with? What do you think about heart issues? Relationships, emotions, those types of things are heart issues. Our soul issues would be spiritual, exactly. And then our mind issues would be intellect, knowledge, education, and then strength would be Um, are y'all medical people? <laughs> Physical, yeah. And so if we're strong in, um, in all of these areas, well, okay, so we already established that not everyone um, loves the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why not? Why? Good question. Okay. (laughs) Well, sometimes they don't know God, right? They don't know how to love God. If God has placed in the heart of every man the desire to worship, and yet we don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, then we're going to worship something else, right? And so a lot of times we've replaced that love with something different. And so... um, The people that are at least able to understand the gospel, the truth of God's saving grace, have barriers. So to get to being able to talk to them about that, what do we want to do? We want to have access to them. We want to be able to get to them and be able to talk with them about that. Well, One of the best ways to penetrate those barriers is to care for their needs. So if we're caring for their needs, be it physical or emotional or intellectual or even spiritual, if we hit those other ones, we're more likely to be able to hit the spiritual ones and make them understand what the gospel is. So what, that's what we were trying to do with our health education and our nutrition program is to care for the needs of people so that we can make them healthy in all areas. And then what was the second greatest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so they would go out and share the same thing with others. So in our community transformation training strategies, Um, the number one value is that true health is whole health. It's not just physical health, but it's being able to be healthy in all four of those areas. So um, then we move to our methods. 
I'll start by telling you a story. John was this new person, came to Delhi, and he wanted to um, he wanted to provide all this training that he'd had because he knew that he knew how to tell somebody about Jesus and what they needed and all that kind of stuff. So he walked up to Raj one day and he said, um, "Hey, Raj, just saw him on the street. I have this great lesson I want to tell you." And he proceeded to use all of these technical terms that Raj had very limited English, and so he had no idea what he was talking about. They're in the middle of the street, so there's rickshaws, there's drivers, there's everybody in the street, there's animals, there's vendors coming along selling chai and vegetables and who knows what else. And a couple of Raj's friends come up and try to take him away. So do you think that Raj heard the lesson that John wanted to tell him. Nah. Why not? What? Timing. Location. Good. What else? Language. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the methods that we use... Oops. Did I go too far? I'm sorry. We're supposed to be going there. Okay, so we train with a story, because all of y'all are going to remember John, the very bad teacher, right? When you go home today, um, we try to do the training in homes or in venues that have little distractions. Um, Homes are always not the best, but we would try to do that. We also want the modules to be very simple so that they can be reproducible. We also want to tell the story, model it. We want to assist, have somebody else tell the story, and then we want to watch them, and then we let them go. So that's our um, the methods for how we do transportation. I mean, transformation. Um, And our goal is always multiplication. If I were to tell each one of you one on one that today is Tuesday, how many times would I have to say it? A lot. But if I tell the four of you right here, today is Tuesday, and say, go find four other people to say, today is Tuesday, how long would it take for us to get the whole room to understand that today is Tuesday? Yeah. Hardly. I would have to say it maybe three times at the most for a a group this size. So... Multiplication is definitely um, a goal that we have in mind. So, what are, in your experience, some common children's health issues in impoverished communities? What? Diarrhea. Diarrhea. That's a huge one, yes. I'm sorry, you're going to have to say it louder. Malaria. Good. Parasites, what? Tuberculosis, Tuberculosis. good. Typhoid. Typhoid. Ringworm, hygiene, hygiene. good. What else? Dehydration. Dehydration. (laughs) From the diarrhea. (laughs) Yeah, 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 and heat stroke and the hot summer and all that. Okay, so yeah, definitely worms. Um, So these were just um, some of the common ones. 
that we made lessons for. And all of those, uh, not all of them do, I have down here, but um, we definitely dealt with a lot of diarrheas in the summer, pneumonias in the winter, some skin disorders in the summer just because of the heat, and definitely a lot of worms. So the primary one in a lot of impoverished communities is access to clean water. And that's pretty simple in a lot of ways to, to provide education for them to be able to um, find clean water. So that was pretty much the first lesson that, that I would go to, just because if they had clean water to drink, then a lot of the parasites would go away, a lot of the um, other simple diarrheas would go away and all that. So we did that, and then the malnutrition was probably number two, just because of the lack of knowledge of varieties of fruits and vegetables. Um, And so that's basically what we wanted to do. I'm going to walk through a health lesson with you. Um, Mushtaq was a little boy. I worked primarily with Muslims, so I've got Muslim names in my head. And he loved to go out and play. One day, he was going out to play, and he couldn't find any of his friends. And so he went to a park, and he found this great stick. And he pulled his pocket knife out of his pocket, and he sliced his finger. Then he went. And just then, his friend Ali came up. And so he grabbed whatever he could find on the ground and wrapped his his finger up and ran off and played with Ali for the day. Well, it was kind of a hot day, so they went swimming. And then by the time he got home that night, he said, Mom, look at my finger. And his mom opened the, the cloth, and his finger was huge and red, and there was this gunk coming out of it. So, what do you think the problem is? A dirty knife. A dirty knife. <laughs> but, yeah. So, but what's the main problem? Infection. Infection. That's the main problem. And that's a cause of the, the infection. So, tell me some causes of infection. Dirty water. Okay. He was in the, he played in the water. What else? <laughs> Y'all are totally too educated for me. <laughs> okay, think about what Mushtaq did. What did he do? What was the first thing that he did? He sucked on it. He sucked on it. Oh, how dirty is a human mouth? It's hugely dirty. Okay, so then what did he do? He put a dirty rag on it. So he had a lot of germs all over that finger. And then he played in the dirty water. And so by the time he got home, it was totally... Okay, so what are some ways... Oh, we've already identified the problem and the causes of the problem. So what are some things that we can do to change... What happened to Mushtaq? He's got to clean up his act. Okay. So how can he clean up his act? 
So what's the first thing you would want to tell Mushtaq to do? Wash it with water. Okay. Clean water. And soap. Okay. Then what should he do? Put a nice clean rag around it. Or, yeah, most people don't have access to a Band-Aid, but um, they could put a clean rag around it. And then what? Yeah, don't go swimming in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, and so how often do you think Mushtaq should change his little clean bandage that's on his finger? At least once a day. Yeah. Or when it gets wet or dirty. Okay, very good. So, what's... That's true. So, in the education that you do, you talk to them about the families, about making sure that they have at least access to something clean. And, you know, they can wash the dirty one and have it available for the next day. And so, we... We have um, them have some strips of clean cloth in their homes that they can do if there's a cut or something like that. So, yeah, that's, that's really true. Okay, so would someone like to retell the story with a happy ending? <laughs> Go for it. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so we've just accomplished a health lesson. So do you think you could, well, of course, y'all are all able to do that. But the uneducated, well, generally, we retell the story at least two or three times. So it's in their mind. The story is in their mind. And then putting the solutions at the end of the story um, and retelling the story with the solutions in it is what is they're able to go and tell other people in the village or in the community. So <clears throat> the nutrition program that I did was um, we started out with an initial screening of kids. So that was always a really good time for us to utilize volunteers from the states to come in and do help us with an initial screening. And so um, we would invite people to come at a certain time and have a team from the states come in or even, you know, a couple of others that would be. Um, the thing that we found in, oh, well, in India, by law, you have to be under a Indian physician's care. And so, um, so we had an Indian physician that would kind of oversee. And um, one of the problems in one of the slum areas where I did a screening was that um, the physician was seeing some of the male patients and stuff while I was seeing the women and the children. And he saw 60 patients in 45 minutes, gave them a long list of drugs, and they would come with me, come to me and say, this is what the drugs we needed to do. And I hadn't even heard of some of them. And so I didn't have them. And so um, 
a couple of the guys just threw the piece of paper down and said, well, then what good was it for me to see a doctor? And um, so that was a really hard learning experience for trying to do that one of the first times is just because um, our prep time wasn't really good to begin with. And um, so the next time we um, told him that we only had a certain number of medicines and, and um, he tried to limit some of his prescribing and we spent a lot more time with the families and all that and, and, and um, did the, the initial screening there. So um, we invite families that have children under five. We um, weighed them and did physical assessments. Um, we used the WHO simplified field tables for weights and height um, for children zero to, to five. And um, then as they exited, we made sure that, you know, they had at least a little token of something that they walked away with. It might have been if, if they needed some medicine, then they walked away with that. If they didn't need medicine, they walked away with something else, like a pencil. You know, it wasn't anything really expensive, but it was something that they felt like that they walked away with something. Um, so then we put the children that were off of the charts pretty much because I had a lot of kids that were totally off the charts in the program. Some of the slums that I was working in, they had um, a little, the kids were a little bit more well nourished, and so, but even so, they were still only in the red. It goes red, orange, yellow, green, and so they were really only marginally in the red, and they would be the ones that were in the program. I found that if I had more than 25 families in the program, I didn't have enough time to see them regularly and there was too many people to try to do a health lesson with at one time. And so um, the really, the best number was about 20, between 15 and 20, um, to, to have a group of, of women that, that could come in with their kids and listen to the health lesson and would do the assessments and, and um, only one child per that family were in the program. Um, a lot of times it would be two or more kids in the, in the family that had low weight, but I put the one child that had the lowest weight in the program, but I saw the whole family. But that way there's only one ration going to the family a month and they wouldn't get, like, more food than they needed for their families. So um, they came in once a month. We had a 12-month program because that was pretty much the time frame that we want to have access to a community for the gospel presentation. But also, after a year, what they've had 12 different lessons, at least, that they have. And, um, and the kids have had enough time to, to make a change in their behavior. A lot of times if the kids have other disease processes that are causing their malnutrition, I mean their low weight, um, they didn't significantly change. But, um, but with 
medicating for their diarrheas, medicating for some of those other things, and providing the nutritional support and education. Almost all of my kids at least moved into the orange or yellow from off the charts. And so that was a great improvement over the year. We used a card system. Everybody came with their card. That's how we knew who could come in. And um, only a person, I mean, the people that were guarding the gate for us, they only let the people that had a card in. And so that was how we could manage the program. And we could see on the card every month their improvement or their lack of improvement. And um, if they didn't gain weight over a month, we had to look at it like, well, okay, last month it was really cold, and so the kids had a lot of clothes on, and this month they don't have any clothes on. Or, um, you know, were there were there some illnesses there? And so we um, we made sure that that we had that record. I also kept a record of my own, but but the, they the families had. A, on their cards, what they could see and show also. We did a physical assessment every month. We did the health lesson. And like I said, we would change. We would do the lessons according to where we were in the year. Like we didn't want to do malaria in the middle of winter where there's not so much malaria. We also didn't want to do pneumonia in the middle of summer where there's no pneumonia. Um, I always wanted to do clean water first regardless of what time of year it was. And so um, so we did that one first. Um, but then that's what we did. In the nutritional supplements, I wanted to show the families um, what a good, a good, well-rounded nutrition looked like. Of course, I couldn't give them fruits and vegetables because those are perishable. But the non-perishable stuff, what did they need to keep, and the variety. So, like for in in Pakistan and in um, and in India, the the primary protein would be lentils, and so we we gave different types of dal, and so that they would have a variety of those. We also gave um, the the main food. We we gave um, whole wheat flour, and we also gave a little bit of rice because they would do both in the homes. Um, do either you know their their dal with um, rice or with chapati. So we gave them that, and of course we definitely made sure that there was um, soap in there. Um, that was, for me, the number one ingredient for the nutritional supplement. I know it doesn't seem like it should be nutrition, but um, but that was a value. I mean, it was something that was the most important thing because it was teaching them that soap was important um, and washing and cleaning things. I, gave, I also gave the kids monthly vitamins, and um, so they had the, the vitamin supplements. They had the... Um, protein, um, the main foods, and the and fat, and then um, we included some some little fun things sometimes, like um, tea and a little bit of sugar. But that wasn't every month. And then we we would do um, a, a few little fun things, but we always made sure that we had those certain things in the food supplements. Um, the 
main reason for doing the food supplements was, yes, for nutrition education, but primarily to get them to come so that they could have the education, so that they could understand what their health problems really were. And um, it wasn't trying to be deceptive in any way, but it really was. They were coming to get something, but they were getting more than what they thought they were getting. Isn't that the way that we do sometimes with God? You know, we go to him to get something, and he gives us more. And um, so, but sometimes we just don't know what we need. And a lot of the people, because a lot of the moms, the moms who are the guardians of the health in the home had limited or no education. So they didn't really know how to take care of their families other than what they had watched their moms do. And so that cycle of poverty was just continuing on. And so to break that, we needed to gather them and give them the education lessons. So that increased knowledge led to a lot of behavior change. I can't tell you how many, how month by month, the family dynamics would change. The kids would come in looking healthy. I had um, one family, they came in, they had three little girls, and the girls had no hair on their heads because they were just that malnourished. Their hair was, they might had, you know, little tufts that were coming out. And then the next month, there were a few more tufts. And the next month, there was a few more tufts. And by the end of the year, those girls were absolutely gorgeous, and they had beautiful hair. And it was merely because their mom understood how to feed them and understood a little bit more about what they needed. <clears throat> also, the, um, the last benefit was really the community changed. Because there were people that were outside of who I was giving the health education lessons to that were receiving them because the moms in my program were sharing with others in their community. So we had um, different people throughout the community were hearing the lessons. And we would um, talk to them about every month we would review the last lesson. And we would ask them, so did you tell anybody? And, oh, yeah, I told so-and-so and so-and-so. And so-and-so had their daughter was had malaria or whatever. And I told them what they could do about it. And so it was always really a fun thing to, um, to reevaluate every month what happened. So the community overall was better health-wise. But more than anything, they were open to hearing from us. And when we went in to review the health lessons, we were able to share with them a story from the Word of God. We were able to pray with them over different things. And um, in that community, one well, the several of them, but this one that's on the picture here, um, of the 25 families that I had in my group, nine families... The whole families came to Christ. And um, in 
one of the families, one of the ways that that family came to Christ was one of the um, ladies who who did some in-between visits to the families. Um, the husband was bedridden because he was essentially paralyzed. And so she sat down and said, well, you know, I pray in the name of Jesus. And um, so she asked her, the, the mom asked her, would you just pr- please pray for my husband? God healed him. He got up and walked. And so they understood the power of Jesus and the miracles of Christ. And so that, that was the eternal change in the community. So um, there, there's just a lot of wonderful things that happened that I could stand here and talk all day about. But um, anyway, I just really believe that the reproducible part of the education is what really helped turn the corner. After this program, I ended up continuing to go in um, after the 12 months was over into this community in particular. 20 of the 25 came knowing that they weren't going to get anything because they learned the value of the education. And so they came and they sat in groups with me and listened to the education and turned around. And we, we were able to share Bible stories, too, because when I didn't have to do the physical assessments and didn't have to do all of those kinds of things, I could, had, had time for a health story and a Bible story. And so we turned it into a Bible story study time. And so that was that began the discipleship cycle, and so um, so that was really where we went through with that. So these are just some of the resources. I know that um, here this weekend there's a lot of people with Che um, that are here. I utilize those lessons, but I kind of shrink them down to make them a little bit like. Some of the lessons I put into two lessons, some of the Che lessons, just because of the content in there, because we need to make it as reproducible as possible. Also, um, Preach and Heal by Charles Fielding, who is right there, right now. I mean, not in this room, but the next, he's speaking. Um, <clears throat> he set up the basis for this. And then the um, World Health Organization is where I got a lot of my information and documentation for the nutrition. <clears throat> so, in summary, community transformation training strategies is community development plus what? Gospel, church planting, because who's the only one that transforms? The oh, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, so we discussed common children's health issues and some of the ones that we focused on, the value of stories and education. What stories are you going to remember? Chuck. Mushtuck, <laughs> yeah. And the pocket knife. And John, the very bad teacher, right? <clears throat> and we talked about the nutrition program. Okay, so questions? Yes, ma'am. Could you talk a little bit more about the stories with the kids and how you, how did you come up with the stories that you told? Do you have a reference for? And what format did you tell them in? And 
was this a just to teach a different method, or were you trying to fit into some of their cultural paradigms about why they do the things they do to help them, you know, change what you know, their paradigms were with some, with just with the stories? So, um, really, I was teaching the moms, not the kids. So the adults were who we were doing the health lessons with. Um, we used the, the adult learning style theory for how to teach the lesson because there's a lot of knowledge that we have in our heads already. So by getting you to answer the questions, if we do like a question thing, then you come up with the solutions, then you're going to remember them more. Um, more interactive style of learning is it's not something that was common to them so it was at first very difficult to get them to answer some of my questions but you and so exactly that you start with a story so it's a problem posing story so we we want to come up with like mushtak and the pocket knife what was the problem? It was infection. So it was just a simple story that would show the problem of infection. Like, um, so you're finding stories that you see in their lives. Like yeah, something that's common that they can relate to. So, like, the, the story about diarrhea um, is one where the kids were out swimming and the buffaloes were pooping in the water, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so... So you've got all this stuff that's going on that makes the water dirty, and then they go home, and then that night they spend the night in the bathroom. And so that's the diarrhea story. So what's the problem? It's people would say maybe dirty water, but they also say diarrhea is a problem. And so then we talk about what are some causes of the diarrhea. Then we talk about um, what are some solutions. So this... um, this right here, this slide, is exactly what we go through when we teach the lessons. We tell the problem-posing story. We stop with the problem. We don't put solutions in it until the end. So we, we, we pose the problem, and then we ask them to identify it. And if they don't come up with it, then either we haven't told a good story, or, um, or they really just don't know what the problem is. And so, but hopefully we go in and we investigate what are some common problems. And there are some universal common problems. So that's kind of where I was coming from with the common children's health issues, is there are common problems that are across the globe, especially in impoverished communities. And so we work with those. And then, yeah, um, I do, when I do the training, it's a three-day training for how to do these health lessons and everything, and you get it in 40 minutes. <laughs> but, um, but we do really heavy on the church planting side as well. And so, um, so the first day is, is setting up the vision. The second day is the health lessons, and the third day is um, the church planting portion of it. Um, but anyway, we walk through that and have a lot of pe- everybody practicing doing that. And so that's where we are. The picture is a group that I was doing the, the training to to go out and tell teach health lessons. Um, and they were doing a drama, and that, that guy has diarrhea, I think. <laughs> um, and so, anyway, um, I 
forget where I was going with that, but um, the stories, I do give them some model lessons. I have a, a database of about 10 or 15 lessons. The resources came from the, the lessons that you can get from the CHE network or um, where there is no doctor or just, you know, as medical professionals, we have a knowledge base of what, how to walk through that. And so what are some of the problems? We just do the problem-posing story. But the, the biggest thing, I guess the most important thing with us to think about is how, how simple can we make it and how far down can we get it to where that the person, what are the essential elements of the education that we want to give? And so with that in mind, we formulate a story or a drama, and then we walk through these elements. Always having the group identify the problem, always having the group identify the causes and the solutions. Okay. Yes. I did not. Just deworming? Um, we, yeah, we routinely dewormed if, well, if they had the symptoms. I didn't necessarily would deworm them just because they were malnourished. But, but a lot of times if you ask, get down to the bottom line and ask the moms, they would have that problem. And so, um, so I, I had a lot of worm medicine that I gave out. But antibiotics would be like for the, if they, I, I only did that with symptoms, so um, it may be a longer term. I mean, you know, if you're only seeing them one time, maybe, but since I was having them come back regularly, um, I didn't feel like I needed to do that. Yes. I have two questions. Okay. I did not, but they, they came with their moms. I would see them in the communities and stuff, and they were continuing to look healthier. But, um, but they really, overall, it wasn't necessarily a lack of access to food, um, whereas like in some um, famine areas, it really is a lack of food, and so, yeah, that would be a more important thing. But, um, but since they had access to some food, they just had limited funds, then I helped them to more wisely use the funds that they had. So they didn't have a need for the supplements after that. And then my other question is, um, so one of the problems I've seen in my work in Africa is, like, there's plenty of kids with malnutrition, plenty of kids with extreme malnutrition. So during the 12-month program, obviously there's kids that are still, you know, presenting with severe symptoms mm-hmm. like No, um, they didn't have to wait. 
sometimes I would I would start another I would do another screening like after a couple of months, but I had them in a separate program, so I would still see these kids once a month, but see these kids on a different day within the month. But I put them in a 12 month program as well. So um, yeah, I had and, and it was mostly because I was limited in my amount of time. I could have you know done it every day of the month and I'm sure you can too in a lot of places but um, you can do multiple um, things but um, but because of the, the, the multiplication of education then some of the other families were benefiting without even being a part of the program so yes Yeah, in um, in the programs that I had in, in Pakistan, well, in um, in India, that's another thing that I came up with. I mean, that I faced that I really hadn't thought about was just vegetarians that don't eat eggs or or chickens. But in Pakistan, a lot of people would give us. Yeah, they would feed us. We um, received some of that for them to give back. Um, but in um, in Delhi. They didn't. It was just a, a free thing that service that we provided. Um, a lot of times they have that want to give some kind of token of appreciation, and sometimes it would be just them giving us chai or something like that. But it wasn't. Yeah, we we gave out our services for free. How much did it cost? Cost? Yeah. The cost. supplements. Say per capita, how much money did you spend? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I knew you would. Somebody would probably ask me that, and I should have asked my husband because he's the he's the money keeper. Um, but I think a supplement was about twenty dollars for one supplement. So um, what what happened was that our national partner had a um, in in. India had a grocer that gave a discounted because they're they're really wanting to help the poor, and so he gave a hugely discounted amount for the the food, and um, we bought it in bulk. And then their church um, would be the ones that actually packed the supplements and then brought it for us to distribute. And so that was a way to to get the nationals involved in helping us with the task of the nutrition program, but um, we, um, I'm Baptist, Baptists have money for hunger relief, and so they provided the money for the hunger project, and um, and so that was who paid for the actual food supplements, so, yeah. How many times did you try before you found this system? How many times did I try? Well, early on in our, um, in our time in Pakistan, yeah, we did a lot of kind of one-off medical camps and stuff like that. But then we found that we needed to do something that would be ongoing to provide education for them. So so a lot of that was formulated during our time in Pakistan, and, and we had it a little bit more refined by the time we got to India. 
And so, um, yeah, the health lessons were the the main way that we wanted to go. So, yeah, it probably, I mean, I said 20 years, so probably 15 of those was refining the program. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Occasionally, there would be somebody in the group that would come up with something like that, and when they give a wrong answer, you just sort of kind of ignore it, and when somebody gives a right answer, you say, exactly, and um, so we just kind of don't go there unless we have to, um, but try to try to pull out the right answers, and when a right answer comes, then just kind of celebrate the right answer, but really... Um, I didn't have a whole lot of that happening, a whole lot of, of um, superstitious kind of the solutions. They would have superstitious stuff, but not necessarily the causes. And so in the solutions, I would say, well, that is a way, <laughs> but this is a better way. So that's what um, where we would go with that. Well, and we even in the states have practices that we take care of certain things. Like my grandmother put a penny on my work to get rid of it, and you know stuff like that. So, so we have that. So, do I say a hint? Yeah. Uh, answer the question about cost. I, in India, my wife and I uh, over about five months uh, spent six hundred dollars and saw about eleven hundred patients. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, yeah, medicines are really cheap in India. And yeah. A uh, question about, you mentioned the uh, tables from who? Uh-huh. Um, and we had a problem with now getting growth charts there. Uh-huh. Because a lot of them originate in the U.K. or U.S. Right. And a lot of the kids there are a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was wondering, how do they really apply to the kids in India? Yeah, that, that is... Um, a good question, and one that I've really kind of walked through. Um, a couple of the doctors that I highly respect have said that they've sort of walked through the the charts that they should be, and so that's why I um, they they should be a little bit lower for Indian standard growth charts. And I think in maybe where there is no doctor that's in Hindi. They might have a different developmental chart. Um, but I still use those just because if they're totally off the charts, I mean, you know, you can see that they're malnourished and they look really malnourished. Um, so I did that to just kind of verify who I was going to put in the program, but you can just look at them and see that they have any. Hmm. Yeah. So, yes, ma'am. Yeah. I have a lot more. <laughs> There's a lot more, but these are these are the most common. Um, 
heat stroke is another one that we definitely did um, in the in June when it's really hot. May and June are the really hot months, and so. Um, but in the northern areas of Pakistan, where we're in the middle of mountains, the heat stroke wasn't that. So that wasn't one of those universal common health issues. <clears throat> yes, sir. Deworming in that area is a very common practice. Has anybody studied uh, how effective it is and what's the practice <laughs> and uh, sh- how often should we be doing this? Mm-hmm. We're kind of just adopting everybody else's practice. Yeah. I did work it with a gastroenterologist in um, in Pakistan that um, recommended that we do that because he said in the um, digestive system it's not a harmful thing to deworm and so it'd be better for prevention to just go ahead and do that regularly because it doesn't it doesn't harm the tract um, but. I'm not sure in um, in India what kind of research has been done. I've kind of looked at some of it, but not really have found anything. I know in the northern areas, one of the studies that they were doing was um, early childhood diarrheas and the effect on their um, intelligence. So how they perform academically in school if they've had, you know, how, how that ratio goes. Um, but I don't know about worms, whether they've done that with that or not. So, yes, ma'am. Do you have a comment for that? Okay. Answer, we Okay, good. Yeah. It's who.int? Yeah. And then you just look up and then it will pull like manual and how often you should be worn based on your geographic location and it's yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a I mean, seriously the I go to who first for a lot of stuff. <laughs> Ah, so what what do you think the most common way to clean water is? Boil it. That is definitely the first thing that, that people say. But in impoverished communities, it takes a lot of resources to boil water. So when I asked them, how many of you actually boil your water? When I asked them, you know, what, what do you do to clean water? They said that very thing, boil it. How many of you do that? Nobody, because they don't have the resources for it. So if you put water in the sun for a certain amount of time, which I think documented it only takes like four hours of direct sunlight to kill all the germs in the water. So we took these clear plastic containers, and and that's what I passed out for the lesson. Filled it with water, had them lay it out in the sun for a day, just so that regardless of whether it's a rainy or a sunny day, that was out there in the sunshine that would get enough sunlight to make it clean. 
and then they could, I gave them two bottles so they could exchange it. If they had a large family, then they would need more than that, but, um, but that provided enough clean water. They, we filtered it through a clean cloth first, put it in the clear um, plastic container, and they put it either on their roof or in a place where it would have direct sunlight. So that's clean water. They have um, bleach tablets that um, in both in Pakistan and in um, India, you can get them for free. And But when I would ask people that, they would say, well, you have to wait in line for I don't know how many days, and the government doesn't give it to you and all that. So it was good in theory, but in practice it didn't work either um, because they, they never got access to those bleach tablets. It works. But you have to have the tablets to make it work. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, another question. Um, the soap, you know, you said that was an important nutritional supplement, which is a particular wonderful way of doing it. But, you know, did you, work, did you go into the homes with, did, they, did you ever have doubts that they were using the soap? Was this ever sort of something that lady gives us, but we don't need to do it? Or? Had this wonderful professor friend. They brought a team of students that went into the homes and asked them questions like that. And, yeah, we did go into their homes. And, um, yeah, some of the families, they just didn't have access to water, period. And so um, so it was sometimes. Was one of your stories that you told about how to wash your hands and how to wash your hands. Definitely. Hygiene is definitely one of the, one of the lessons um, that we would give. And um, the ones that used the soap came back looking better. They were healthy. And so they were, they were the model. Um, yes. <laughs> and so those that put to practice the lessons and or, you know, whatever we gave them were actually our best selling points because it worked. Did you always do what your mama told you to do? <laughs> do you know why sometimes you did and sometimes you didn't? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, see, I'm more of a big picture person and less of a detail person, and so, um, so I didn't investigate down to that point. Yes, ma'am. Well, soap is really cheap. So that's really, and that was part of the argument um, that, I mean, or one of the lessons that I gave was how much soap does it take to purchase a bottle of antibiotic, the most simple, cheapest antibiotic. And there was like 25 soaps to one bottle of the cheapest antibiotic. And um, so I was just like, so, um, how long does a bar of soap last to your family? And it lasts at least a month. So, um, so that's, you know, two years. 
but you could be using soap for one bottle of simple uh, antibiotic. So. Yeah, so it's really cheap and really easy, and it's just a matter of helping them to see the importance. Well, we have half a minute, so y'all did good. <laughs>